Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. Um, today, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 4, and uh, for this next series here, I'm going to be in the book of Matthew, but um, in Matthew uh, chapter 4 is uh, where we're going to start. As I was... Um, Looking through and to get ready for today, um, I came across an article that, uh, that had to do with different colloquialisms, like different parts of the country uh, say different things. So like uh, some parts of the country will say soda, some parts of the country will say pop, some parts of the country say coke. So depending on where you're from, you might have that. So on the count of three, which one do you say the most? One, two, three. Soda. That sounded like soda pop. (laughs) But yeah, so soda. There's another one that's uh, tractor trailers, semi-trucks, or 18-wheelers. How do you describe that big truck? One, two, three. Do you hear that? (laughs) Uh, It's just different parts of the country you say different things. It's interesting because in the book of Matthew, um, Matthew writes in such a way to where he describes our eternal life in this phrase, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. But when you read the other gospels, you'll see a description of the kingdom that's to come, and it's the kingdom of God. And so you might look and you might say, man, what is up with this different description? If you read the book of Matthew over and over and over, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. In fact, after the second century, most of the church picked up Matthew's interpretation and said, you know what, we're going to run with the kingdom of heaven here. But, but there's this kingdom of God thing in the other gospels. And it makes us go, gee, what was going on with that usage? Matthew uses the expression kingdom of heaven 32 times in his gospel 32 times but there's differences as I said and so what are those differences essentially we've got three things to think about why would they be different one is a denotive difference meaning it denotes or it highlights a, an actual different place altogether and so when you see the kingdom of God it's talking about this when you see the kingdom of heaven it's talking about this but that gets shot down pretty quickly because in several places we can point to there's overlap And so we say, no, 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 that that can't be true. They're talking about the same place. Well, then why does Matthew do this? The second one might be a connotative difference. So it's not a a different place, but maybe the connotation is a little different. And why would that happen? There's this expression called circumlocution. Circumlocution. And what this means is essentially, if you and I were to say it today, we would say he sidesteps an issue. That when Matthew is writing about the kingdom that's to come, he sidesteps an issue. Well, what was the issue he would sidestep? The Jewish people, he was speaking primarily to the Jewish people in this gospel. And to the Jewish people, they avoided taking God's name in vain to such a degree that whenever God had to be mentioned, they would change the word they would use. And so you might express this with the vowels being taken out. When you, when you see the writing of, of, of the word, the name God. And so they would take the vowels out or maybe they would point to an illusion. And so one argument is, you know what? Matthew's being sensitive 
to the Jewish audience that he's writing to, and he's using circumlocution to get there. He's basically stepping around any chance that he'd get blamed for being somebody that would take God's name in vain. But there's this third difference. This third difference is a metonomic difference. A metonomic difference. Metonomic means having come from a particular place. So if I want to talk about England's power and all of the places that England has control over, you might, you, you used to say the crown. So it's wherever the crown is. And what you're saying is you're pointing to something that's different, something that's bigger. It's a figure of speech consisting of the use of the name for one thing, for another, which is an attribute associated with. So the crown means the land belonging to the crown. Matthew's being intentional here by clearly demarcating the difference between the kingdom of heaven and a different kingdom. So when he's saying, taking this time and saying, hey, you know what? Well, I want to talk to you about the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is there are other kingdoms that you and I might find ourselves wrapped up in. And I don't know about you, but in the summer of 2020, this is a year many of us wish didn't even happen. Wish we just could have skipped this one over in our calendars. But in the year of 2020, we've got this little thing called an election. And, and, and in the middle of all of this other chaos going on, you're being asked, you will be asked in the, in the coming months, if you haven't already, we're always being asked to declare which kingdom we're a part of. Declare which flag we fly under. Declare what you think about everything in the world. And, and your temptation, my temptation, will be to say, well, yeah, on this issue, I'm in this kingdom. On this issue, I'm in this kingdom. And I'm in this kingdom. I'm in this kingdom. And Matthew, over and over and over, 32 times in the gospel, he talks to us about where our loyalty needs to be. And it's the kingdom of heaven. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't have anything to say about these other things, but it just means that how you come across and how you live your life and what you find to be valuable, you make sure that your, your, your citizenship is where it should be. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven, not in the kingdom of earth. Kingdom of heaven, not a kingdom of earth. And it's, it's one of those things that when you become a Christian, you're like, yeah, I see it clearly. But then the longer you're in the world, you start to go, man, these things are diluted. So I could show you on really both sides. We, we avoid, uh, many of us in the flesh, we will avoid sin in two ways. One, we just embrace it. And we say, ah, it doesn't matter. Grace covers it. The other is we just ignore it. We just pretend like stuff isn't sin. We don't even want to talk about Sin. And so in that way, we're embracing the kingdoms of the earth. What we have to do is say, you know what? No, my citizenship is in heaven. I'm going to make sure everything gets in alignment. So we're in Matthew chapter 4. I want to read for you Matthew chapter 4. Let's walk through it together. And I want you to see this time that you guys are familiar with where Jesus was interacting with Satan. Jesus goes and gets tempted. And you guys know the story if you've been around the church for very long or read your, read your Bible very long, but you may know this story about Jesus going away to get tempted. And really, it's this question of which kingdom, Jesus, are you going to be a part of? And he gives us some examples of how to walk through this earth with the temptation to be pulled and gravitated in a different kingdom. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted by who? Let's read that sentence again. I, I really feel like many of us don't even believe this sentence is possible 
in the Bible. Many of us don't even, we don't, we don't even have a place to store this kind of sentence. You ever have somebody that just does something that's so out of character and so crazy, you're just like, pause for a second because you, you don't even, you can't speak. You're like, did that just happen? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. For what purpose? To be tempted by who? That that can't be in the Bible. Are you kidding me? So the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, get this, allows the Son of God to be led away for the express purpose of being tempted, which would lead you towards sin, being tempted by Satan himself. What? This, this conspiracy going on between God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, Satan, against Jesus. That's crazy. And get this, as if it wasn't bad enough. Look at verse 2. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I, I would say so. I'm hungry after four hours. You know, I'd be, pretty, I'd be pretty cranky in four days. So hold on. So, all right. So God the Father's like, hey, you know what? Holy Spirit, I need you to pull Jesus away. And I need you to pull Jesus away so that he could be tempted by Satan. And oh, by the way, we're going to make it a little bit more harder because, you know, he, he is more harder. We're going to make it harder because, he, you know, he's, he's God in the flesh. So uh, how about... We, we, we test this hypostatic union thing going on. Fully God, fully man. How about we test the fully man part by just starving him for 40 days before he faced this temptation? Before we go anywhere, can I just tell you, you and I have very little excuses left. <laughs> like how many times can you go, well, I just gave in because I was starving for 40 days. <laughs> like we, we we're, no. So he's being led away, temptation is coming, intentional by the Spirit of God with Satan, and to make it all worse, Jesus was hungry. And it says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, can you say if you are? If you are. You know, many of our temptations begin with our own ego, our own identity being challenged. Many of our temptations begin with our own ego. If you are who you say. Now, he knows who he is, right? You know who you are. I know who I am. But the temptation begins, well, if you are. What is in that? It's, you need to prove something to me. I need you to do this so that I feel satisfied with you. This is an outward pressure, an external pressure that's put on for us to prove ourselves to other people. And here Satan's like, well, Jesus, you know, if you are Jesus, I need you to do some things for me. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. Homeboy's hungry, looking at this rock cliff, this rock face. Got an opportunity here to just turn it into an old country buffet. But he answered, this is what Jesus answered. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
I'm going to give you a, a couple of temptations. Because this whole breakdown, when we talk about the kingdom, which kingdom am I a part of? And I'm being asked to, to be on a, a team. And I'm being asked to, to carry a banner. When, when we're asked all these things, when we're, when we're challenged to all these things, we've got to ask, which team are we a part of? Where is my citizenship? And you've got to keep that loyalty first. You've got to keep that understanding first before you get into addressing all the others. But he says, you know what? Man shall not live by bread alone. He didn't start with himself. But here's the temptation. The kingdom of earth temptation is... God doesn't care about your needs, so you better take matters into your own hands. God doesn't care about your needs, so you need to take care of matters in your own hands. The temptation that Jesus had and the temptation that we have is not that you and I are tempted to be able to go out in this parking lot and say, man, that's, I can turn that all into bread if I want to. You know, I'm tempted. I'm, I, might just, I might just do that today. I'm not going to pay my bill. I'm not going to have lunch here. I'm just going to turn the whole thing into a big old pizza. That's not our temptation. We can't relate to that. We read that and we're just like, man, I can't relate to, to, to being able to turn it into bread. But you know what you can relate to? You can relate to the idea that, man, if I, if I want something, I'm going to circumvent God and just go get it myself. If I want something, if I feel it inside, I'm just going to circumvent God and just go do it because I want to. God doesn't care about my needs. I've got to do it. God, God, I'm, I'm going to take the shortcut. I'm going to do something to get what I want. This is Satan's main tool to distract us from meeting Christ and also to, to derail you once you've met him. It's just this idea that God's not good enough for you. You've got to do more. God's not, is, is God really there? Does God really care? And so you and I, we've got to ask ourselves, where do we belong? Now remember, if this was Jesus when he said, man should not bre live on bread alone. He was going back to the book of Deuteronomy, which was referenced in the Exodus. Remember in the Exodus, we talked about this a, few, a couple series back, and Curtis came in and he talked about it, and they were journeying along. And, and, and they said, you know what? We, we want to go back to Egypt because we don't think God's supplying our need enough. Circumventing God's plan for your life because you think you can do better, because I think I can do better. That's the piece that tells us which kingdom we're giving into. Am I giving into the kingdom of heaven and trusting him? Or am I giving into the kingdom of earth and saying, I've got to short circuit what God wants for me? Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city. So we got three temptations. First one is, hey, go outside of God's uh, plan for your life and do it your way. The second one, then the devil took him to the holy city, sent him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their heads you will bear up unless you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, as it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Now what is happening here? Satan is tempting him in two ways back to back. The first one is, um, do you really believe God? Do you really? I mean, Tolly, really? There, there's a different way you could get this. You could see it right within reach. Do you really believe that God's got his best interest for your life? That's the first one. The second one, look at this. It's, it's so cunning, right? Because now the second temptation is, oh, man, you believe God? You should believe God wants anything you want for you. And so you know what? What, what, what you should believe is you should believe if you jump off, he's got to save you. 
He's got to rescue you. You should believe so much in God. You should believe so much in God that you just run out and do stuff and believe God's going to be your parachute. You should believe so much in God that you should just go out and do whatever it is you feel like it and just slap God's name on the back of it. You know what's interesting? What's interesting is that there are different ways that we can take God's name in vain. If I was to ask you right now, like we started this whole thing talking about how Matthew was trying to get around this issue of, of taking God's name in vain. And so he's using the expression kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, so that he doesn't say kingdom of God and then people accuse him of being. But, but there's a different way you could take God's name in vain. If I was to say, how do you take God's name in vain? Most of you would say, how many of you have taken God? No, I won't do that to you. Most of you would go, well, I stub my toe in the dark and I cry out to Jesus, but I really wasn't crying out to Jesus. My kids are, are, are just unruly and not listening and I just blurt out. Or there's a person that they bumped, they hit my car. I could tell they were tailing me and we got to that light and they weren't paying attention and took his name in vain. And we would all understand that. We would all go, yeah, that's taking God's name in vain. That's terrible, pastor. I agree with you. And if I was like, hey, let's have a line and, and let's stand together for, to, to declare together, we will not allow people to take God's name in vain. You guys would all be like, pastor, I'm down for that. I mean, this is church and it's hot and I'm here. I mean, obviously I'm down for that. But what if I told you there was a different way to take God's name in vain that the church seems to embrace a lot more? told you it was the, the, the church, Christians, or people that call themselves Christians, have a tendency to take God's name in vain because we just jump and we slap God's name on stuff that he didn't co-sign. And when God didn't co-sign it, when God didn't tell us to move, when God didn't call or compel us, when God's not involved in the origins, but we just do stuff. And then we say, well, God's got my back. Do you ever think maybe that's taking his name in vain? That's, that's adding his name to something that he didn't put his name to? And there are a lot of people that utilize, not just on TV preachers or people asking for money, but lots of everyday folks that are out there just slapping God's name on the stuff that he didn't slap his name on. And we're using God's name in a way to almost have too much faith in some of our own worldly pursuits. And so what was the first temptation? Do you really believe God's got his best for you? What was the second temptation? God's got, man, God's got his best. Just jump. Just do it. He's got to. He's God. The kingdom of earth temptation, number two, you can misuse God's promises to get what you want. You can misuse God's promises to get what you want. The first temptation is you can just say, man, God doesn't have promises for me, so I'm just going to give in. The second temptation is I'm going to misuse God's promises, and I'm just going to slap God's name on a bunch of stuff that I want to do because I want to do it. The first temptation was essentially don't believe. The second temptation is believe whatever you want whenever you want. We put God's name on a lot of bad ideas. Frankly, uh, 
what we're going through in our generation, frankly, is a generation of Christians that put God's name on political parties and said that God is for this person. God is for this cause. And as a result, we have an entire generation now that is looking at everything and says, you know what? Wherever you slap God's name, I'm running the other way. And, and you say, but no, 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 but God really is. doesn't matter. Because I, I think that's manipulative. I think you're trying to hurt people. And I think that God's not in that. And as a result, our country is looking and saying, you want me to be in this kingdom. But the problem is, is that you keep confusing the kingdom of heaven with the kingdom of a party. You keep confusing the kingdom of heaven with a kingdom of a person. You keep accusing the, uh, uh, associating the kingdom of heaven with the kingdom of stuff or power or position or rank. And because you're melding the two together, because you're taking God's name in vain, I can't come to you to that kingdom of heaven stuff. And the church, capital C church, all of us everywhere are suffering. And, and the world around us is suffering because our witness is broken because they look and they go, if you were just kingdom of heaven and I knew every time you spoke, you genuinely were just simply trying to honor and love God. If, if I knew that about you, like I can trust that you're not going to take God's name in vain. You're not going to just apply stuff to a political party or a person or whatever person's in power. That if I knew that about you, then I can go ahead and walk down that road and, and figure out where I land on the kingdom of heaven stuff. But because we've so melded it together, and in today's culture, it's on both um, major parties in, in the Western, in America. Now, everybody understands there's this group of people that if you slap God's name on it, they'll just roll with you. And so now it's really confusing all the way around. And so that's so much more important for you and I to live in this culture, to be able to say, you know what, stop it. I've got to be first and second and third about the kingdom of heaven. And then when I go in and I, and I, I want to have a discussion, I can separate that discussion and make a logical argument about why I end up at a certain place for a circular person. But I'm not going to confuse people by, by manipulating them and using kingdom of God language, kingdom of heaven language, for kingdom of political party language. I'm not going to do that. If I want to advocate for a position, I'm going to clearly demonstrate to you I'm advocating on a position. But if I, if I want to manipulate you, I'll just try to say, well, kingdom of, kingdom of heaven. And you and I, we've got to get to a place where we go, you know what, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with kingdom of heaven first, second, and third. And I'm fine with if I hold a, a particular belief about how I think the world would operate better, I'm going to clearly articulate that on its merits. But I'm not going to just tell people they've got to go with me because God says. Because that's taking God's name in vain. There's a lot of people that genuinely believe the opposite of you or me, and they genuinely would say, you know what? I genuinely believe God would never, ever, ever, ever tell me to vote for that. And so because of that, you have two people that are genuinely looking and just saying, what is the kingdom of heaven here? And we need everybody to call time out and say, I'm not going to take God's name in vain. I'm not going to try to manipulate people. When, when the elections are coming, I'm not going to say, well, because I believe X, Y, Z, I've got to vote X, Y, Z. I'm a part of the kingdom of heaven. And I've got news for you, neither party in America <laughs> uh, is honoring him <laughs> right now. Verse 8, again, the devil took him 
to a very high mountain. So we've got first temptation, second temptation. A very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Check this out. And he said to him, this is Satan, this is how prideful Satan is. And these I will give to you. Satan's telling God's son, he will give over this land. If you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only, him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Here's your third kingdom of earth temptation. You could achieve God's what while ignoring God's how. You could achieve God's what by ignoring God's how. You see, Jesus knew his plan was to come and to go through suffering and to die and to die an atoning, sacrificial death. A plan that he's going to sacrifice himself for all of us in our sin, for the whole world and their sin. And that was his game plan. And as a result, he would be named the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He would have dominion over everything. And he would be the one we all look to and, and for worship. And Satan said, you know what? Would you like to get that without, you know, going through that whole suffering thing? Because I got a plan for you. Would, would, would you like to, to be the man without having to go through that pain? Would you like to be on top of the world? All you have to do is worship me. That's it. That's all you have to do. Church, here's the thing. From the flesh perspective, you can achieve the appearance of God's what without God's how. You can achieve the appearance of God's what without God's how. I, um, in like the, it's not in my notes, but I'm just thinking about a perfect example. There was a televangelist in the 70s and 80s that his whole ministry collapsed and shut down. And he had this Christian amusement park and he had all this stuff and he was on TV and all this money. And basically another Christian ministry was asked to go in and, and clean up shop because essentially what was happening is Americans all across the country stopped sending in money to every televangelist, every TV preacher, no matter what their belief systems were. And one particular evangelical leader was asked to basically head off this effort to go and to distribute assets and to figure it all out and sort it all out and try to earn the public's trust. Well, he went in and when they went in behind the scenes, they found every room was decorated in gold in this TV pastor's house. Literally, what set this person off edge was the gold toilets. They had built toilets with donations from Christians made exclusively purely of gold. And at this point, seeing the gold toilets it caused these Christian leaders to back away. 
and to say there's no way we can come in and even try to clean this up. It is so evil. But prior to all of that being made known, they had the appearance of a healthy, successful, godly ministry. You can get the what without doing the how. But you and I as kingdom citizens of heaven have to ask ourselves, is that the type of Christian that I'm called to be? Am I called to circumvent what God wants in my life's how so that I could get what I believe God wants for my what? Now this could come in a lot of ways. It could come from dating relationships. It could come from marriage. It can come from your job and what you do for a job. It could come in all of these different ways to where we go, I want something and I want that appearance of it. And so I'm willing to say I don't care how I get there. The problem is that's not kingdom of heaven living. The scripture says you should worship. Jesus said you should worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The question you have to ask is, who am I serving? Am I serving my own flesh? Am I serving my own wants? Am I serving my own wishes? Or am I serving Jesus with this life? And if that means that it takes a little longer, if that means it looks different, if that means that I've got to go through suffering as Jesus did, if that means all of that, am I willing to do it? Am I going to be a kingdom of heaven citizen? Or am I serving a different kingdom? Now the astute student would, would see here what Jesus responded to in each of these temptations, He used the one offensive weapon we talked about from Ephesians 6 last week. The one offensive weapon is what? God's Word. So every single time temptation came, Jesus didn't give some theoretical whatever. He didn't put a draw in math. It wasn't a beautiful mind with a bunch of arrows and numbers to explain Himself. He looked to God's Word. You and I in our own temptations, when we're tempted to follow a different kingdom, when we're tempted to have to give an answer, when we're tempted to pick a side, you and I have got to come to the place to where we say, what does God's Word say about it? And I might not even like, I've told so many people in private conversations, there are things in the Word that bother me. I'm like, man, if I was to do it, can you think about the arrogance in this statement? If I was to design it, it wouldn't look like that. But when it bothers me, that lets me know I've still got some work to do. That, man, I I don't understand it, but I've got to go according to God's Word. Verse 17, right after all of this, John the Baptist is pulled off the scene, and we get down to verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying... What was Jesus' message? You can go read the first four... Chapter, chapters of the book of Matthew. What was Jesus' message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Gary Delashma is uh, an author I was reading a little bit in uh, preparation for this. And he says this, because the real battle was with Satan, it was fitting for Jesus to start off his ministry by facing him. Because Jesus is the second Adam, Romans 5.19, it was necessary for him to choose obedience to God over rebellion 
suggested by Satan. Because Jesus was the new Moses leading a greater exodus, it was necessary for him to be tested in the wilderness for 40 days. Church, the question, are we trusting God's message? Are we trusting God's means? Are we trusting God's method? Let's know and go according to God's Word. Let's know God's Word and let's go according to God's Word. That's how we can be in the kingdom of heaven and not get distracted with all these other earthly kingdoms. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. And we thank You, God, that Jesus, the Scripture says, in all ways was tempted just as we are. We don't serve a God who's unfamiliar with our own temptations, our own trials. We serve a God who understands us. But Father, it's not an excuse for our own sin to, to, to follow through with temptation. What it is, it's an inspiration, an encouragement that despite being tempted, there is no sin in temptation, but following through would be sin. Despite being tempted, Jesus repeated God's Word. And He knew how to behave and He knew how to respond because of God's Word. And so Father, I pray that we in this society that's in a battle right now about every particular issue and every political election, we're told it's the greatest election ever. It's the most important ever. And every single time this comes up, we are a nation divided for just a year. And then for a couple of years, things settle down. God, help us to not be pawns anymore in any more election seasons from any political person. Help us to not be citizens first of, of America or citizens first of Kenya or citizens first of any place or any people group or any tribe. Help us to be citizens first of heaven. And Father, help us to answer the temptations we face in life and the challenges we face in life as kingdom citizens. Help us to demonstrate love to our neighbor. Help us to be able to have civil discourse. Help us to be encouraging and loving, even if and especially if we disagree about a particular issue. Because Father, what we do know is You've created us all uniquely and we are all wired differently and we have different passions and callings and purposes. And there's going to be times that among friends we simply disagree. Help us to learn how to be kingdom citizens when we disagree. And Father, help us to, to work on agreeing on Your Word and what You say. And that's it. God, we don't have to agree on a lot of things. We have to simply agree on You and Your love and Your grace and Your mercy and Your truth. So I pray, Father, that we can continue to be that type of church. And Father, that's outwardly, but inwardly, would You help us to be kingdom citizens in our private moments? Would You help us to be kingdom of heaven citizens in our thoughts? Would You help us to be kingdom, kingdom of heaven citizens in, in what we speak to ourselves, what we speak to others? Father, help us to represent You well in every facet of our life. We thank You, God, for loving us. Thank You for the Kingdom of Heaven example. Thank You that when we are tempted, we can turn to You and Your Word. We love You, Lord. We pray, God, that we would make much of Jesus in the way we live this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can we thank God for His Word today, church? Come on.